Our faith should be fully integrated into the fullness of our lives. We shouldn't keep our faith in a certain box in our hearts and it doesn't impact the way we do business. It doesn't impact the things we watch on television. It doesn't impact the things, the way we spend our money. It doesn't impact the friends we keep and why we keep them. It doesn't impact the way we spend our time and our talents and our treasures. And I think that's one of the ways Satan has ripped the church off because for a long time it was really easy to say, yeah, I'm a Christian, but I don't really have to live like it because I say that I'm a Christian. As a believer, you know that God has control of your life, but it doesn't mean that it will be free of tribulation or that your choices don't matter. Today, as Pastor Daniel goes over the dietary laws given by God in Leviticus, you'll hear very specific instructions about food. God desires for us to be vibrant and healthy, and our own choices play a part in that. The children of Israel followed God's laws because they trusted His promises. Now, here's Pastor Daniel with part one of his message entitled, To Eat or Not to Eat. Alright, let's open up in our Bibles to the book of Leviticus chapter 11. Leviticus chapter 11, we get to talk about one of my absolutely favorite subjects tonight, and that would be food. And it's in the Bible, so it's not a tangent. It's just straight up exegeting God's word. I've entitled tonight's message, To Eat or Not to Eat. That's a cheeky title, but it's appropriate. It's appropriate. So we have to understand how this all fits together. And I think it's important that as we're studying this, that we understand what is going on at this portion of the book of Leviticus. Remember we saw... Last week's message, as we looked at Leviticus chapter 10, that one of the jobs of the priest was to be, to be able to teach the people the difference between what is sacred and what is common, what is pure and what is impure. And if you recall, if you were here last week, I made the point that our culture, especially in the 21st century West, we have an issue with making distinctions. There's a part of us that we've kind of embraced um, a postmodern way of looking at the world that everything's a gray area. And that might be a cultural set of goggles we wear, but it's not a set of goggles that God wears. Because if you look at the creation account itself, God, it's all about God making distinctions. This is the light, and this is the day, this is the darkness, this is the night, this is the land, and this is the water. This is my creation of male and female. It's the, the creation account is all about God being very specific in distinctions. And so it's one of the big rubs that a follower of Jesus has in the contemporary environment that we live in. Because we live in a day and age where it's, well, it, it's a gray area. It's, it's my truth and you have your own truth and it's all fine. And, and it's kind of like we as followers of Jesus struggle to say, no, this is the truth. But what's interesting is that even though we live in a culture that has embraced gray areas, they hold the gray area position with as strong of an absolute as we hold a distinctive position, a black and white position. 
It's funny, if you ever meet somebody who's like, well, you can't, you can't tell somebody that your religion is correct. I mean, all religions lead up to the top. And they hold that with such veracity and judgmentalism, but their gray area position is just as black and white. They just call it gray. I just had someone recently say to me, like, you know, I don't understand why Christians want to impose their religion upon other people. I'm like, well, you want to impose your religion on other people too. And they said, well, no, no, I don't. I, I don't like when Christians do it. I'm like, but you're not wanting a Christian to do it is you imposing your religious beliefs on somebody else because you think nobody should proselytize. And that in itself is proselytizing in a proselytizing position. And they kind of looked at me. I'm like, you know, I'm right. Just think about it. And I'm like, so it's not a question of you don't like my religion. You like your religion and you want to promote it. You just don't want to have any competition in the marketplace. And I'm like, and now you just sound like the government. And then we went off on a side tangent and it was really fun. So I bring this up because in this section, the book of Levit Leviticus is showing us very specific distinctions. This is holy. This is sacred. This is common and unacceptable. This is pure. This is impure. And What's fascinating is, of course, is food is basic to human survival. And so it's natural for dietary considerations to appear at the forefront of kind of the basic practical concerns. And I think what's important about this is as we're going to look at what we would call kosher dietary laws that God gave to the children of Israel, is that God does not want us to check the Jesus box for spirituality and not let it integrate into the rest of our lives. I'm gonna say that again because I think it's so important and I think it's so easy for us to check the Jesus box in the religious affiliation, but not let the reality of Jesus integrate into the fullness of our lives. And it's fascinating that God gives all these sacrifices and he's like, well, this is how I want you to eat. I mean, you would say, well, I mean, come on, Lord. It's just like, I'm just, it's just, I'm just eating. But God believes that our faith should be fully integrated into the fullness of our lives. We shouldn't keep our faith in a certain box in our hearts and it doesn't impact the way we do business. It doesn't impact the things we watch on television. It doesn't impact the things, the way we spend our money. It doesn't impact the friends we keep and why we keep them. It doesn't impact the way we spend our time and our talents and our treasures. And I think that's one of the ways Satan has ripped the church off because for a long time it was really easy to say, yeah, I'm a Christian, but I don't really have to live like it because I say that I'm a Christian. And God wants to integrate it into the totality of our lives. So something as common as how we eat is important to God. Now, it's also important before we start to realize that the New Testament teaches us something different than certain food restrictions. Jesus makes it very, very clear that what goes into a man is not what defiles him, but it's what comes out of a person. Okay, so what Jesus is saying is the problem is not eating something. The problem is the heart that makes you want to partake of certain things. So that's the first thing that Jesus, in looking at the children of Israel and talking to them, says, listen, you need to realize the issue is not what's on the outside that comes in. The issue is what's on the inside that comes out. And we need to make sure we keep that distinction because it's very, very easy for us to think, oh, Smoking cigarettes is bad, and that defiles me. And Jesus would say, well, no, the smoking of the cigarettes is actually a symptom of a heart issue. And I'm just using cigarettes as an example, okay? So Jesus is saying the core of the human condition is in the heart, and it plays itself out in action. 
And so we want to say, once I clean up the action, then I'm okay. And Jesus would say, no, no, no. The problem's in the heart. Let's deal with the heart. And once the heart is changed, then the actions will, will, will change as well. So Christianity is not some sort of behavior modification. It's not some behavioral self-improvement course. It's God saying, I want to change your heart, and then your actions are going to change. Secondly, of course, if you remember from Acts chapter 10, Peter sees a vision of all these different animals, and he hears a voice that says, Peter, arise, kill and eat. And you hunters say, yeah, that's my memory verse right there. That's like my verse, arise, kill and eat, yeah. But Peter, as a, a Bible-believing Jewish man of that day, who's put his faith and trust in Jesus, says, not so, Lord, I've never eaten anything unclean. He's saying, look, I've kept these dietary laws. And Jesus says to Peter, do not call unclean what I have called clean. Do not call impure what I've made pure. And the idea is, is that Cornelius, who's a Roman centurion, is going to come and he's going to want to hear about Jesus. And Cornelius and his family is going to get filled with the Holy Spirit. And so what it shows us is that these dietary distinctions, it's meant to show us that God makes distinctions, but God also breaks down the walls of distinction through the finished work of Jesus Christ. So in a way, according to Acts chapter 10, these dietary laws are supposed to show the difference between the children of Israel and the Gentiles, that in Christ, that distinction gets broken down because now Jews and Gentiles both together come to be part of the family of God through the finished work of Jesus. So I would go so far as to say that Leviticus chapter 10, uh, 11 and the dietary laws is a temporary example to the believer that there are distinctions, but in Christ, all is made pure. And that is why the New Testament, if you've been in church, you've probably never been taught that there's certain things that you should and shouldn't eat. And I do think it's important because we live in a culture where obesity is an epidemic that we have to remember that all things are lawful, but not all things edify. All things are lawful, but I will not be brought under the power of any. So we have to be careful because we do live in a, in a gluttonous culture. Let's just call it for what it is. We live in a gluttonous culture, you know, and so we have to be careful because our stewardship of our bodies is part of our testimony. And we need to make sure we take care of that. But we have to realize that these kosher dietary laws is a picture and a type of something that is no longer being enforced under the covenant of grace, the new covenant that we're under. So I, I wanted to get all that out there up front so that we make sure that we realize how this is playing out. And what's interesting, one, one more introductory point, is that God... If you look at the, the divisions of people, God mirrors those divisions to the animal kingdom. So it's like you have humanity as a whole, right? And then within the, the whole subset of humanity, there is the children of Israel, or in the New Testament, the people of God. And then within that subset, there's the priestly class. That's what we've seen, right? There's all the people, then there's the children of Israel, and then there's a special priestly class. Now, what's interesting is if you look at the animal kingdom, there's all the animals, then there's a subset, almost like the children of Israel. These are clean animals that are able to be eaten. And then there's an even smaller subset that these are animals that are good to be offered as sacrifices. So if you don't think about it, you may not realize that God has all of humanity, his people, and then his priests, as we see in the book of Leviticus. And then you have all of the animal kingdom. You have what's allowed to be eaten and then what's allowed to be sacrificed. So it goes from the widest spread to a, a medium spread to a very specific spread. 
And it's a fascinating way that it, it just kind of mirrors each other if you look at the text. So let's look at Levi- uh, Leviticus chapter 11, beginning in verse 1. It says, Now the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, saying, These are the animals which you may eat among all the animals that are on the earth. Among the animals, whatever divides the hoof, having cloven hooves, and chewing the cud that you may eat. Nevertheless, these you shall not eat among those that chew the cud or those that have cloven hooves. The camel, because it chews the cud but does not have cloven hooves, is unclean to you. The rock hyrax, because it chews the cud but does not have cloven hooves, is unclean to you. The hare, because it chews the cud but does not have cloven hooves, is unclean to you. And the swine, though it divides the hoof, having cloven hooves, yet does not chew the cud, it is unclean to you. Their flesh you shall not eat, and their carcasses you shall not touch. They are unclean to you. So we begin with land animals. And really, if you want to cross-reference this, Deuteronomy chapter 14, verses 6 to 19, it's almost a mirror of it. It's almost verbatim. Now, the simple principle that's applied that can be applied by anyone is namely if the animal has cloven hooves and chews the cub, it's suitable for human consumption. It's that simple. So something like a horse, a horse doesn't have cloven hooves, unacceptable. So any animal that has cloven hooves and chews the cud, that's like the general principle, and then it breaks down from there. So that's pretty much the way for land animals, that's as simple as it gets. And then we get into a couple specifics, of course, something like the camel, because the camel, it chews the cud, it doesn't have cloven hoods, so you can't eat that. The rock hyrax, which, again, some of these, it also could be translated a rock badger. Um, anybody here ever eat camel or badger? I never have. I've never met anyone who has either, but they're saying it chews the cud, it doesn't have cloven hooves. The hair, so no rabbit because it chews the cud, but does not have cloven hooves. And verse seven, the anti-bacon verse right there. It says, and the swine, though it divides the hoof, having cloven hoods, yet does not chew the cub, it is unclean to you, the flesh you shall not eat. So it's amazing that Leviticus 11 outlaws bacon as part of the kosher law. Now, again, like I said, we're not under the food laws now. All is to be received with thanksgiving. So bacon on, brothers and sisters. As people were like, yeah, you know, but, but hey, you know, it's funny. I have a, a good friend who's an Orthodox rabbi and, and we always talk about these things. And my son, no bacon. And he's like, let's not talk about it. You know, <laughs> he's like, let's not. And I'm just, I'm just like, man, no, no shrimp. We're going to get to that in a second. He's like, I don't want to talk about it. And so, so, but you have to realize that both circumcision and the dietary laws were the two most observable differences between the children of Israel and everyone else. And we can't miss the fact that, that in that culture, we're going to see certain of these animals are prohibited because there's a high potential for those animals to, be, to, to carry diseases. Like when we get to fish in a little bit, we're going to see that any fish that doesn't have gills and fins is, is not unedible. So anything that's a bottom feeder because they eat the scraps of what's left over on, on the 
the sea floor. And so you have to realize that God is very, very concerned for the children of Israel. You got to realize they didn't live in our culture where everyone's got hand sanitizers and soaps and you put bleach to clean up your house and all these crazy, and you soap up every day. It wasn't like that. And so one of the ways God preserved his people was to give them a lot of complex health-oriented things, including the things that they ate, including the things that they ate. And you have to realize this was before ice boxes, you know, and so what happens is imagine you have an animal, and I don't know all the details of, you know, what's God got against the hair except for the fact that they, they don't chew the cut or whatever. But you don't, we don't quite realize that in their culture, this was long before you had freezers and ice boxes and this and that. And, and I, it, some, I read some scholars who were saying that some of these laws are enacted simply because some of these animals decompose quicker based on certain other factors. And so there's, there's a lot more in here. I don't wanna give you too much speculative stuff because I like to try and keep it pretty close to what I understand it to be. But there is a lot of research out there about, oh, well, this animal, if you do this, and, and uh, pig's meat actually decomposes more quickly for these reasons. And, and so it's fascinating. But a lot of this is about God's desire to preserve his people in a healthy state so that they could be his witnesses to the nations. And so, and we all know that, especially with the way that we eat, that's a huge component to our, our general health, isn't it? People, you know, I have a, a friend who's a, who's a doctor, and he says, yeah, he's like the number one, the number one factor other than genetics that, that plays into somebody's health is their diet. It's the number one factor next to genetics. What we eat, what we consume, it's what fuels our body for good or for evil. And so... It's a fascinating thing that God gets right into this. Now, also, verse 9, we move to fish. Look what it says. These you may eat, verse 9, of all that are in the water, whatever in the water has fins and scales, whatever in the seas or in the rivers that you may eat. But all in the seas or in the rivers that do not have fins and scales, all that move in the water or any living thing, which is in the water, they are an abomination to you. They shall be an abomination to you. You shall not eat their flesh, but you shall regard their carcasses as an abomination. Whatever in the water does not have fins or scales, that shall be an abomination to you. So notice, just like we saw that it needs to have cloven hooves and chew the cud for land animals, for fish, the most basic principles, fins and scales. Why? They free swim. Because they free swim, they're not stuck in certain places. They, they can move around freely. They, you know, you all know that if freestanding water has a much higher likelihood of having all sorts of bacteria because it's freestanding. So the idea is, is that because these animals have fins and gills, they can swim around, they can swim to cleaner places, and they're not constrained to being bottom feeders or staying in one spot where there's a higher likelihood of the potential for parasites, diseases, and the like. So again, if you think about it, because fins and scales, this would preclude lobster, crabs, shrimp, and a whole bunch of other fish that we all say, thank you, Lord, for Jesus. And I love me a good shrimp scampi. I'm not saying someone needs to bring me one, but I do love me a good shrimp scampi. Man, I can make a pretty good one too, but that's a side point for after service. Verse 13, we move from fish to birds. Notice, and these you shall regard as an abomination among the birds. They shall not be eaten. They are an abomination. The eagle, the vulture, the buzzard, the kite, the falcon after its kind. Every 
raven after its kind, the ostrich and the short-eared owl, the seagull and the hawk after its kind, the little owl, the fisher owl, the screech owl, the white owl, the jackdaw, and the carrion vulture, the stork, the heron, after its kind, the hopo, and the bat. Now, why all these? Now, again, you, you, we do struggle in these words in the Hebrew. When you translate them over, what do they actually mean? Are these birds natural to this area and that? Really what it boils down to is, is the main rule of thumb is that God does not want people eating birds that eat dead carcasses. That's pretty much where it boils down to. Now, why would God not want you to eat a bird that eats dead carcasses? Again, because when a bird eats dead flesh, there's a higher likelihood of parasites and disease. And when I say, hey, anybody want to eat a bird that just ate a whole dead carcass sitting on the side of the road? Everyone's face goes like this. But what's the, you got to realize that before Safeway and Costco and Fred Meyers and whatever your favorite place that you chucks or whatever, before all these things, people just ate what was around. And so God, because he loves his people, saying, look, I don't want you to eat birds that are going to eat dead animals that have a higher likelihood of getting you sick. Because when we are sick, we're not strong. And let's be honest, when we're sick, nobody really feels all that spiritual anyway, except for the, oh, God, help me. Oh, Jesus, get me better. You know, and it does make for good prayer, but no, nobody's really getting at God's kingdom when they're feeling lousy. Amen. So, so God cares about our health, and you find it in, in 3 John. I love to hear that my children are in health. And so I don't want to have some, you know, we have to be careful because we live in a day and age where this kind of health and prosperity gospel, they call it, where it's like if God, if, if you're God's kid, then you're, you're going to be perfectly healthy, and if you're unhealthy, it's because you don't have enough faith, and you're going to be more wealthy than you ever imagined because you're a child of the king, and God rolls that way with his kids. I don't believe that's the gospel. I believe the gospel says in the world you have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. But we do have a part to play in our own bodily health. And we can't, you can run 10 miles every day, and if, and if you're, God's only given you 30 years of breath, then that's all the breath that you're going to take. But we want to be as, as healthy, as vibrant as we can for as long as we can, because the work that we do is the work of the Lord, getting at the things of his kingdom. So God has a desire for us to be healthy. That he wants us to be vibrant and ready to serve him at a moment's notice. And so it's interesting that the prohibition against birds, it's almost completely about you're not allowed to eat birds who eat dead animals on the side of the road because they would be unhealthy for you. But notice, chicken's totally legit here. Turkey's totally okay. No problem. So Thanksgiving, kosher, as they say. Verse 20. Everybody's favorite part, moving to insects. All flying insects that creep on all fours shall be an abomination to you. And all the people said, amen. Yet these you may eat of every flying insect that creeps on all fours. Those who have joined legs above their feet with which to leap on the earth. These you may eat, the locust after its kind, the destroying locust after its kind, the cricket after its kind, the grasshopper after its kind, but all other flying insects which have four feet shall be an abomination to you. Jesus is 
Like everything that God does, the dietary laws that God set forth for the children of Israel were purposeful. As we heard Pastor Daniel say today, the people's obedience showed they had faith in God's laws, even if they didn't understand why. We know that God doesn't need our money, but He uses our finances to help further His kingdom. We want to invite you to partner with us and help expand God's kingdom through Jesus is Real Radio. Your monthly or one-time gift will allow us to continue to grow our radio ministry in other parts of the world, sharing the life-changing experience of knowing that Jesus is real. Simply log on to JesusIsRealRadio.com and select Partner from the main menu. For most of us, our smartphone is an extension of our body. They are constantly ringing and dinging, telling us what to do and where to go next. We want to encourage you to subscribe to the Jesus Is Real podcast. Each week, the programs right here on the radio are available in podcast format. So if you miss one of the broadcasts, you can always catch up by subscribing to the Jesus Is Real podcast. Log on to JesusIsRealRadio.com. Join us again here on Jesus Is Real Radio when Pastor Daniel will continue to help us understand the dietary laws outlined in Leviticus. We'll hear why cleanliness is emphasized and what happened when mistakes were made. We wish we had more time today, but we will have to pick up where we left off next time as Pastor Daniel continues teaching through this series entitled Cleansing. That's next time on Jesus is Real Radio. Amen.